This episode of The Cinema Crew is brought to you by Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy Offer. Charming English seaside singing in Fisherman's Friends. Ladies and gentlemen, we're the Fisherman's Friends. I've heard them sing with genuine passion. Nobody wants to be the man who missed out on signing the Beatles. I'm Bonio. <laughs> Bono, you pillock. Gritty police drama in 21 Bridges. We will catch these guys in the next 24 hours. They vanish. Close the eye. Got 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. They yeah, cannot be the version of this where these two aren't found. Art House Madness in Judy and Punch and an exclusive interview with the director. Political intrigue in official secrets. What we know is that Saddam has this material. We don't know that. I mean, he just keeps repeating the lie. Just because you're the Prime Minister, it doesn't mean you get to make up your own facts. Someone in this building has betrayed their country. If you are found to have withheld information, you will be charged with a breach of the Official Secrets Act. Catherine Gunn, who do you think might have leaked the cover email? And death in an app in Countdown. Have you heard about this app? It's supposed to tell you when you die. What? You're seeing stuff, aren't you? The devil's coming for you. And he's going to take you to a place much worse than death. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now, your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass, thanks to Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy Offer, coming up just a little later on, but first. The bottom line is, you've got a unique sound, and we believe we can help you get it released by a major label. You need to push these guys overboard and let them sink without a trace. I've heard them sing with genuine passion about something we've all lost. You're singing in front of some big players here. Could be more important than that. Saving lives. All I'm asking for is a basic one album deal. Nobody wants to be the man who missed out on signing the Beatles. What about missing out on life in the meantime? England has a long history of charming underdog stories. Cheeky fun like the Full Monty or heartwarming stories like Billy Elliot are always big crowd pleasers. Well, Fisherman's Friends seems to be made from that same mould. Vari, is it as charming? Oh, definitely. One of these quaint English seaside towns yes. in Cornwall. So obviously a great setting from the outset and it's based on a true story. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? So it's about a group of 10 fishermen from this Cornwall village and they like to sing sea shanties just to the local village. It's really cute. And these out-of-town music execs come for like a bucks party. And initially as a joke, they sign them up to their record company. And the album is actually a great hit. And yeah. they do really well. <laughs> when, when was this set? It's like the late 90s and early 2000s. Because Fisherman's Friends are a real group. And I believe they're still 2000s, going. 2000s, it, it would be. It was 2000s. So mm. It was in the, in the earlier 2000s. 
and they're they're actually like a like a record breaking selling. Mm. Obviously, like it's a niche market mm. that they're selling to, but they they still perform. They're still musicians, but they're also still all full time fishermen as well. Wow. Yeah, they even performed at Glastonbury yeah. in twenty thirteen. <laughs> so it was so because if you were to say to me mm. in January two thousand and nineteen, hey, mm. you know, one of the films you're going to really like this year is about sea shanties <laughs> i would have been like you're crazy but yeah. it does like obviously i, I will, i'm going to go and assume that you guys also don't listen to sea shanties in your spare time mm. but there's something like in the right context with the right setting they actually work so beautifully in this movie and it makes you kind of go they are kind of yeah wonderful which is something that i didn't think i'd be thinking in mm. 2019 i do like a bit of folklore with my folklore background yes in that ilk I do like those sorts of music, but not specifically sea shanties. Yeah. It's a bit like, I guess, uh, the social network where you would think that a movie about the creation of a website isn't that interesting, but there's like twists to it that you're like, oh, that is actually more interesting than I thought. Mm. And a group of fishermen that sing sea shanties might sound like an odd premise, but it's so charming and it's so Mm. kind of like, weirdly, the, the phrase I always use is it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Like you're watching, you're like, oh, that was that was just very sweet, you know. Yeah, it's a healthy dose of positive masculinity in there as well because a lot of these old towns, especially with the older generation of people, probably wouldn't be too progressive. Yeah. And especially when, you, I guess, when I think of fishermen, um, I would probably think of someone who wouldn't be too good at expressing their emotions and that a way of bonding with each other and, and with their town is through singing and they were bringing that to the world and, and being more, I guess, open-minded than you would think. And similarly with Pirate Days, like they would be, you know, on the ship <laughs> yeah. singing songs. So. Especially with the Cornwall yeah. accent. The Cornwall yeah. accent is very pirate. It's like, all right, my lover, you know, kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I think Cornwall as a setting, it looks so beautiful. <laughs> like just, mm. yeah, just to, to photograph it mm. in the film, it's such a uniquely seaside kind of an aesthetic that you don't really get many places in the world and it makes it infinitely more interesting to set it somewhere like that even though it's a true story so of course it's set there yeah but then if it was set just in a in an urban setting you know like if it was set in the suburbs or if it was set in a metropolitan area it wouldn't have the same effect there's something about like the beauty of the cornwall coastline the music and everything like that kind of it kind of sweeps you up Mm. so i want to talk a little bit about daniel mays who's the main character the executive i think he I guess it's almost a stock character, but it's the arrogant big business type that gets humbled by the small community. Yeah. Uh, and I'd never seen him before in anything. Oh, yeah? uh, but he did win me over because at that <laughs> first, as you're meant to, I found him pretty mm. abrasive and annoying. But he does have this kind of everyman charm to him that eventually does kind of get through and and it, it does work. And at first, mm. that was my, for the first maybe 20 minutes, I was like, this is an interesting setting, but I'm not sure about him. But in the end of the day, I actually think that he was quite good. Yeah, he falls in love, a classic storyline with the main fisherman's daughter. Yes. Um, so yeah, this, uh, let's <laughs> say this movie isn't without cliche. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The entire movie is very cliched, but you're right. I think the actor himself, it was what he brought to the role that made him likable. Otherwise, yeah, it would have been too corny for me. Yeah. <laughs> and too corny. corny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's also, it's worth mentioning, James Purefoy, who he's starred in a bunch of like HBO shows, Rome, and uh, I think he's in a couple of episodes of Deadwood. Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon. Mm. He, what a handsome man. (laughs) (laughs) To the point where when he was first introduced, he's introduced as the father of of the main love interest. 
but I legitimately thought he was the husband because he's so handsome and so kind of youthful looking that I was like, no way is he a father. <laughs> but it's funny that they try and scruff him up to make him look less handsome, but it kind of doesn't work. Yeah. You're yeah. like, no, I can see it. But I thought he was also really great. He's the, you know, again, not without cliche, the gruff father that's a bit weary of this man and his intentions towards his daughter and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know exactly how this film is going to go from start to finish. But every step of the way, it's a true story, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but every step of the way, you're kind of glad that it did anyway. Yeah. Like it, it's it's yeah. more about the uh, the journey, not the destination, so to speak, right? Like every every mm. moment of it kind of sweeps you up in this weird whimsy. Mm. So, who do you think should see Fisherman's Friends? Anyone who wants a really heartwarming story. There's not much to it, as we said. It's a bit cliched and corny tongue-in-cheek, but it's got a lot of heart. Yeah, very similar to any of those, like you say, um, English films. It reminds me a lot of Yesterday, the recent film, or the James Corden film, One Chance. What happened? We're staying 18 years. How many cops? Eight. They responded to a robbery. Clayton will catch these guys in the next three or four hours. They vanish. How are you going to do this? Close the aisle. There are 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. Stop every train and loop the subways. Yeah. There cannot be a version of this where these two aren't found. Chadwick Boseman is best known these days for playing the iconic Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, he's actually re-teamed with the directors of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame for his latest film, 21 Bridges. But this time he's swapping the shields and hammers of the MCU for a police badge. Dan, is it as exciting? Yeah, look, this is a... a I want to say it's a, it's a heist action drama. <laughs> it's set in New York. It's very current in its themes. I feel that it's lacking something in terms of the, the action that we might be used to with Chadwick Boseman. So the storyline here is that he's NYPD detective and he hunts a couple of these criminals that have murdered like up to, I think, 10 police officers. And the, the object of the game is to grab them or detain them before they reopen the island because they've closed every bridge, all 21 bridges <laughs> of Manhattan. And they've only got, I think, five hours to, to catch these guys. So we, we talked about A Fisherman's Friends not being without cliche. Mm. Would you say that is the true of 21 bridges as well then? it falls into some of the tropes of the action cop hunting the criminal cliches. <laughs> definitely. Absolutely. Definitely NYPD uncovering a major conspiracy, a couple of cop killers mm. on the run. Yeah, I guess the only difference here is that there there is a bit of a twist to it and Chadwick Boseman's character uncovers that right. and has a moral dilemma. Yeah, And I guess it, it seems to me that this film is almost like there's so much potential there like the Russo brothers are really great. They didn't direct it. They only produced it, but mm. they're, they're very good with like kind of grounded action and they take very fantastical action and make it quite grounded in the Avengers movies. And Chadwick Boseman, I think is even underrated at how good an actor he really is. Even if you've only seen him as Black Panther, go look at him as James Brown and get on up or uh, in the movie 42. Where he, oh, was that he, him? That was him. Oh, He's a phenomenally like great actor. And I feel like roles like this aren't serving mm. how good he can be because mm. they're a little bit yeah. kind of straight lined and, you know, down the middle. This could kind of be any handsome. It could be anyone, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's strange. Uh, he does an American accent. And well, he's American. 
He does. No, yeah, he's a married uh, <laughs> <laughs> The, the accent he does in Black Panther uh, is not real. Right, okay, forget that. I think he draws a lot on his Black Panther character in this one because mm. he has to be very stoic. Yes. <laughs> and um, you know that classic line, I never freeze yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from Black Panther. By the way, later kind of, in that film, freezes. <laughs> he's literally an ice. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he is very frozen, I, I guess, in uh-huh. himself as a character. Yeah, the director, Brian Kirk, he has directed Game of Thrones, Luther and yeah. Dexter. And I feel all of those have sort of similarities in the way they're like, you know, in terms of visually they're dark and tone mm. they're dark. I feel that this movie is on brand with his style of directing. And it kind of seems like because all, all of those are TV credits and this kind of seems like it, this isn't like a huge $100 million blockbuster or anything. It's the kind of thing that you maybe could see as a TV series or as a, a medium budget movie like oh, this. Like it's kind sure. of not really swinging one way or the other. It's not one of these micro-budget, really gritty films. It's not one of these huge – it's right there in the middle of the Mm. road. Yeah, that's what I felt exactly, that it was like a long episode of a cop drama show. (laughs) So – can I? My favorite fact about this is that originally this film was called Seventeen Bridges. Yes, I know why. And I want to know what's happened. Did someone discover they hadn't written enough bridges? Because <laughs> posters were released. Yeah, Seventeen oh, Bridges. Oh, really? oh, and that far. clearly, someone had an "I'm actually" moment. Like one of the general public or something has wow. been like, "Actually, there's 21 bridges," and they've had to obviously go back. Wow. But they say 21 bridges in the film. They and do. I, I want to know whether or not. They had to they reshoot had to go them. And yeah. Or like dub it in, like oh, in yeah. ADR or something. <laughs> but I love that fact. Maybe there's a difference. Like not counting, I don't know, are there some yeah. service bridges? Yeah. Like not main traffic. Oh, we didn't, Maybe, yeah. Yeah. We didn't account know. for these ones. Yeah. <laughs> so who do you think should see 21 Bridges? Yeah, this is for fans of, as we say, the gritty type crime films who don't mind elements of, there's a little bit of gore, not much, with enough action and suspense to keep you guessing till the end. Yes, Sienna Miller is in this as well, and she was a standout performance for me. She had a really good job, really funny accent as well. <laughs> but anyone who likes those cop drama shows has the feel of like Law and Order and Criminal Minds, something like that, but in a long action movie. Now, who do you think should see 17 Bridges? <laughs> <laughs> also in cinemas, Charlie's Angels. The new reboot from Elizabeth Banks. And Ford v Ferrari. Matt Damon and Christian Bale in an epic car race. Yes, you can hear about both of those movies and, in fact, everything that's in cinemas right now in our back catalogue, which you can access from whichever podcast app you like. You won't be winning anymore. The greatest show is what the critics say. Hmm. (laughs) Witches! and punch is weird there's no two ways about it it's kind of like the grim tale of the previously reviewed nightingale by way of the jim henson company a tale of domestic terror except this time it involves marionette puppets fari what am i talking about yes you were talking about punch and judy (laughs) the apparently children's puppet show and it's no mistake that the film is called judy and punch because this story is more about the woman in this pairing, played by Mia Wazakowski. And it's set in 17th century England in this very Puritan town. They do witch burnings and stonings and they're all very wanting to burn heretics a lot. They're, they're pretty crazy. <laughs> and Judy and Punch are putting on their marionette show and they're waiting for talent scouts to find them and take them away from this crazy town. <laughs> but it doesn't really go to plan because Punch has a drinking problem. 
Well, it's in the name, isn't it? As yes. Well. Uh, so this this movie seems like such an amalgamation of so many different things because mm. sometimes it's kind of like satirical, almost like a Coen Brothers-esque yeah. tone, yeah. and then it can get quite dark and then be quite silly again. And how do you think it goes balancing those tones? I loved that aspect. I loved how it could be dark and then this sort of dark humour on top of it as well. So you'd sort of laugh and then something horrible would happen. And then you'd be like, oh, I sh- should I be laughing? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Vo. It's like you're watching this hilarious thing play out and then something tragic happens and you're like shocked and you don't know what to feel. Because that is exactly the premise of the original puppet show. It came from the Italian Commedia dell'arte. It started as a marionette show and then in the 18th century changed to hand puppets so they could be more violent <laughs> and not get the marionette strings wrapped up. So as the name suggests, if people don't know the puppet show, it is very violent. Punch mm. punches a lot of people. Mm. It's the first story, I guess you could say, of domestic violence. Oh. And Punch would also punch up law enforcement, uh, the devil. All these overtones of, I guess, sticking it to the man, this subversive um, maverick who defies authority. And that's what English audiences really latched onto because, you know, hating royalty and Uh. you're really poor and so for poor people watching these shows that was great fun and it wasn't originally intended for adults then changed into more of a children's puppet show but still kept that violence Mm. and really wrong themes (laughs) and for a very very long time even today would still continue in the 20th century to be performed for children which is just absolutely crazy. And even like it's been featured in recent films like a lot of Disney films I know have Judy and Punch characters um, literal hand puppets coming into frame. So, yeah, it's still very prevalent in yeah, today's I'm, society. Yeah, I'm glad my mum never let me watch those. <laughs> <laughs> she was, no, 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 you, that's not children's fair. So do you think that the tonal shift that it has where it can be quite satirical and a little, like, fantastical compared to something like The Nightingale, which also had some pretty dark subject matter also in Australian production, do you think this makes it more palatable? Because the, the Nightingale is quite a hard film to get through. Mm. Do you yeah. think that, that making it like this, even mm. though it's still got those tough moments and tough subject matter, it's a little more accessible? Yeah, I think definitely that, mm. you know, in nature, even visually, like this film will be more, you know, palatable for people who might get certain feelings from seeing The Nightingale, which is the first film that this the Judy and Punch reminded me of. And I, th- I feel that, yeah, I think if you see this, don't go in thinking it's going to be, you know, too serious in a way. But I think that was unintentional. Well, I think it was very derivative of the actual show itself because the show is about punching your partner Mm. and it's supposed to be funny. So you laugh at something in the film, but it's actually quite dark. So it makes you question, why did you just laugh at that? Mm. Which is what the show is about. So I think the director and the filmmakers made a very conscious decision to have those themes in there as a, a commentary on the actual show itself. Well, talking of the filmmakers, you actually got to catch up with the director of Judy and Punch when they stopped by the Jam Factory. Yeah, I think I like I've always been innately very practical and very punctual. Yeah, yeah. and sometimes you worried about raspberries in the production office in in (laughs) pre-production. Like, are they in season? Because I'm pretty sure they cost four dollars. There was raspberries in the water in the rehearsal room, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this because I have 30 days, and if we don't have, if we get rid of the raspberries, does that mean I get 31 days? Like, how much raspberries? What's our raspberry budget? (laughs) No, I mean, sometimes I. I feel like it, it almost it's 
kind of to a fault. Like I think it's really important to have a sense of, uh, you know, you've got to be planned, you've got to be prepped and all of that, but also to allow yourself those moments of being able to let go of that is important as well. So it's about the balance really, mm. yeah. And I think Mira knew when she had a performance. I, I find, you know, my experience with, with some directors is they mm. just, they don't know if they've got it so they'll, they'll keep going. Mm. And I think Mira created an environment where the actors felt, the confidence, confidence, yeah. and and had that freedom, and, and more, you know, probably assured about what they were doing, and and yeah, Mira knew when she had it, so mm. I I found that things moved along um, in that respect. Right. Do you think that comes from your acting background that you have that level of understanding? Uh yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just coming out of doing a doing a handful of shorts and starting to get a kind of sense of it. I mean, I would love if I could. I would love to sit around and play all day and work every scene into the ground and try new stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think I for this one especially, I knew that we were what we were having to achieve in a very small um, space of time was 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 massive. And so it was like if you. If it feels, and then I was really lucky just to have great actors. Like you cast it well, and then you know there's no there's no version of it that that's not good. You, it's just how how many kind of um, how many versions you get to have to play around within the edit. So you know I was very lucky. There was it it, it was always good from the get go. I, I felt, and we rehearsed a bit, and we made sure that we kind of knew what we were doing. So then when we got to set, it was um it was already it, it started off at a pretty good place, I think. Well, that was fantastic. If you want to hear more of that, we actually got an extended interview in a mini episode that'll be coming very soon. So who do you think should see Judy and Punch? Look, if you love a good folk tale set against a village-style backdrop, think dark comedy, witches, a little bit of marionette puppet play, yeah, you'll enjoy this film. Yeah, over the course of this podcast, we've reviewed a lot of movies where tales where the man is central have been flipped on its head and the woman in the equation has come forward and told her side of the story. And I love those. It's another one to add to the list. Dreamy. I've got something you need to see. Who brought you this? Friend? Be careful. If this is real, you can go to jail just for having it in your possession. You're a spy. You work for the British government. No, I work for the British people. I do not collect information so that the government can lie to the British people. I have to tell the truth. Maybe it's because I've recently read Edward Snowden's new book and it's on my mind, but I love a good government conspiracy. And the new Kira Knightley movie, Official Secrets, tells a pretty shocking true story. Is this the kind of movie to get conspiracy nuts going? Do you know what? It's funny that you were so excited by this genre because for me, this is like Freaks on paper. Yeah. Freaks me out. <laughs> Honestly, this is, mark my words, one of my favourite films that I've reviewed this year. Really? I was so Ooh. surprised by how fascinating and terrifying that it was based on a true mm-hmm. story and that just blew me away. And Kira Knightley is an incredible performance. What I find really interesting about these movies is it's the idea of whether you're loyal to your country or your government. Well... In this situation, this is, oh, I would say, government. In this true story, the British intelligence employee Catherine Gunn reveals to the press a memo that intends an illegal NSA spy operation and it was designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. I remember marching against that. Really? <laughs> yeah, there were worldwide marches, Australia-wide marches, about the people saying, no, we do not want to go mm. to war with Iraq mm. because it was 
all this controversy around uh, the pres- American president, George Bush, saying that um, they had weapons of mass, mass destruction, destruction yes. which turned out to be false. Mm. And, um, yeah, they- so they pressured a lot of the smaller countries into agreeing with them to go to war. And then when this woman, Catherine Gunn's memo was leaked and told the public all of their information is concocted yep. and is not true, they went to war anyway. Mm. Yeah. And it's a really interesting time period that this is set in because it's kind of set in 2002, 2003, which is just after the 9-11 attacks mm. and just before the war began where personal security essentially became a commodity mm. uh, to the government and it didn't really matter. They were doing it in the interest of themselves and for the greater good as they were always putting it. And there's so many fascinating stories that have come out of people that stood up to a government and said, this is wrong, what mm. you're doing. You know, I'm, I have a right to tell people and then being vilified for it. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt Smith plays the journalist who helps her, Martin Bright. The doctor. Yes, Doctor <laughs> Who. And, uh, yeah, his newspaper publishes this article. I always think that it's so worth knowing these kind of stories because they are very, like, they're, they're important in world event kind of context. But so many people don't know about them. Well, I think that's exactly yeah. why I would recommend this film to everyone because on paper I wouldn't really care to see this film, but I'm so glad that I did because I wouldn't have known otherwise. And it's just so interesting, I think, because you do have flashes of, you know, real footage taken from the time where you're seeing actual events happening that are from this memo and how it mm. all plays out and it's just like you're ripping your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> and in stark contrast to what we just reviewed in 21 Bridges, the marked difference between how Americans deal with this sort of thing and how British people deal with this yeah. sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> so the director is very good at establishing tension, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't resort to car chases, gunfights and very American type action. Mm-hmm. It's very realistic, which I think makes it more palpable. Well, let's talk a little bit about performances as well. We've talked about a few Kira Knightley films, and we generally, we, we like Kira Knightley. She's a bit like yeah. Sasha Ronan. She pops up every couple of months if you wait long enough. <laughs> so effortlessly uh, portrays Gunn as someone who's extremely passionate and selfless, and I think those values are so what the audience should be feeling and like living this story through her because you want that to be everyone's bottom line. And I feel that... I don't know. She's just so nuanced in her performance in this film. She does do a lot of those staring into the camera pouts <laughs> that she's famous for. She's pretty. But <laughs> I, I, do, I do tend to think, and Nutcracker in the Four Realms aside, oh, don't. that <laughs> Kira Knightley, it kind of like promises you a certain quality to a film. Yep. And I, I don't know if that's in, incredibly pretentious to say, but when she's in a film, you're like, yeah. it's probably pretty good. Because well, she generally picks pretty prestigious uh, well-made dramas. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, it's like a seal of approval. It's like Kira Knightley's in it. It's going to be of a certain standard. So who do you think should see Official Secrets? This film is proof that if political thriller dramas aren't your thing, go and see this film because the acting is superb. The story is riveting. To my surprise, one of my favourite films of the year. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that period in time, if you didn't know about the the history around this true event. If you like movies like Spotlight or that show that's on Netflix, I think it is, or Stan, Pine Gap, or those government conspiracy type films. Have you heard about this app? It's supposed to tell you when you die. What? You're seeing stuff, aren't you? The devil's coming for you. And he's going to take you to a place much worse than death. The movie Countdown has the official tagline, Death. There's an app for that. 
So if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about this millennial-skewed Blumhouse wannabe kind of horror film, then I don't know what will. But do you think the idea of a kill app will work? <laughs> it has the feeling of one of those teen horrors, kind of like Truth or Dare or Unfriended. Yeah. Those kind of they've the filmmakers have tried to latch onto something current. And, uh, it it turn reminds it into a me movie. of like when you see a middle-aged person flossing or something like that, when they're like, is this cool? Is this, am I yeah. doing a cool thing? Is there an app that can kill people maybe? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's pretty much the premise. Uh, a woman downloads this app um, and it claims to predict the moment that you will die. Most people have like, you know, 60, 70 years. That's great. She only has three days. So she has to figure out how to beat the app and whether it's, is it just tricks? Is it false? But there's this spooky figure that's after her. Yes, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Final Destination as well, mm-hmm. which I guess is the teen horror movie from when we all grew up. Yep. But again, it's that idea that death is coming and you know it's coming and and that idea that you're perpetually freaked out that death could be around any corner. I think that it's it's pretty clear that this is going after a certain audience, not necessarily mm. us as an no. audience, but if I was 16 or 17, yeah. I would think this movie is super cool. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So there is actually an app. Yes, it's part of a marketing promotion. They've created an actual countdown app that you can download. And we thought as a bit of fun, we could all reveal via the countdown, the official countdown app, how long each of us has to go. And that will give you a rough idea how long the Cinema Crew podcast might be around. Because <laughs> if one of us has gone in two years, then we're going to have to replace someone. All right, let's, let's all load it up. Oh, my God. I've only got 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Oh, no. Mine says... Your countdown is ready. Do you accept your fate? I'm going to click yes. I just clicked yes. That means I'll die at 50. <laughs> oh. <gasps> oh, my God. I got we- two years, three days. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, uh, okay. Vara, you've won. Oh, cool. I have seven years and 49 oh, days. Yeah. I'll be first to go, guys. There you go. So that, that gives us a couple of years to find a replacement for Dan. <laughs> a couple more years to find a replacement for me. Vara, you're in it for more of a long haul. Excellent. <laughs> so who do you think should see Countdown? If you're a fan of any of those teen horror f- flicks like, yeah, Truth or Dare, if you, you, you know you're going to have a few jump scares in this one, you'll have, I think there's a good date film. The main character in this is played by Elizabeth Lale, who was in a Netflix show called You about a stalker. She was really good in that. Kind of has a feel of that as well, that sort of teen drama. But this one's got, yeah, lots of jump scares, which I know will always get me. Now she's being stalked by death. Yeah. Happy death day. Well, we've all found out the year and time we have left in our lives thanks to the Countdown app. But I tell you this. We need to charge our phones to make sure we can use that countdown app and keep tabs on how long we have left. Where are we going to get energy from, Dan? Simply Energy, of course. Yes, we have a new sponsor on board, Simply Energy. And Vari, what is the other thing apart from energy consumption, of course, that we love? Popcorn. Popcorn. And what are you what are you watching when you eat a popcorn? Movies. Yes, that's right. Simply Energy love movies almost as much as us. Simply Energy has a great energy deal for movie lovers. Switch to Simply Gold Class Plus and receive up to eight Gold Class tickets with your energy offer. Search Simply Energy for more information. You know what else we love here? We love you, the listener. Hey, did you see one of the movies? Did you love it? Did you hate it? We want to know. And if you have any questions for us, we want to hear them. You can contact us at contactus at thecinemacrew.com.au or just leave a question on any of the Cinema Crew posts you see on either of our social media pages. And then we will compile them all together and do a little bit of a Q&A and answer all those questions that you got. 
Now, your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass thanks to Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy offer. Simply head to our Village Cinemas Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post and answer the question. We want to know which of the films that come out this week are you most excited for? Yes, simply leave your answer with the hashtag the Cinema Crew for your chance to win. Next week, get ready for your kids to be obsessed again. It's Frozen 2 and a good old-fashioned murder mystery in Knives Out. Until then, thank you, Vari. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My name is Cambo, and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.